If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bow. And this week, we're dusting off our pickaxes and chisels to discuss developer Cloak & Dagger Games' folk horror point-and-click adventure, Excavation of Hobbs Barrow. Players placed in the mud-covered slacks of Thomasina Bateman, a Victorian antiquary who has been invited to the sleepy countryside village of Bully by the mysterious Mr. Shoulder to excavate an ancient burial site. But suspicious town folk and her own traumatic past proved to make this dig her most daunting yet. So this is a game that by no surprise is heavily steeped in folk horror and kind of occurring within the uh, the northern English moors and whatnot. So, you know, I'm sure we'll get to plenty of examples of, you know, clear influences, both film and games uh, that dabble in folk horror. But I guess we should kind of start with for you, Neil, like what is an example of quality folk horror and maybe what is like an inherent strength of that? horror subgenre for you well yeah the obvious um reference point especially talking about the excavation of Hosbarrow, is the wicker man which is just you know the seminal sort of ideal of um especially the kind of folk horror we're talking about in terms of english uh folk horror um though if we're going more modern i think ben wheatley has some fantastic examples um in very different ways from a field in england mm-hmm. to uh kill list even having a bit of it and sure even stuff like the witch uh you know also by robert eggers is it robert eggers i've got the right haven't i robert eggers yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, sorry ariasta robert eggers that whole thing. <laughs> sometimes sometimes they get muddled up in my head and i think did you do that one or that one let's say no honestly but yeah um but yeah this is more in the tr- traditional way of doing things i think in terms of how it's presented so um it, folk horror is just, you know, in so much, you know, it, it can be in bits and pieces of stuff. It doesn't have to be the, the forefront. Um, American folk horror, obviously, is very different from the British kind that we're getting here. Um, with that as a reference point, you know, the obvious ones are things like Blair Witch Project. You know, that's a 
probably to me one of the best examples of framing Americana sort of folklore in the way that you would for more traditional European folklore uh, and probably why it's one of my favorite sort of American folk horror films in that regard um yeah so here I think it's definitely more in the former camp though of that classical sort of real idea of um traditions and rituals and superstitions and you know a backwards way of living if you will that's um supposedly everywhere yeah <laughs> yeah you know for me it was of course wicker man was an obvious point of reference even something more recently like uh ennis man which came out last year yeah how i forget that <laughs> i mean at the same time though like games are kind of within the last i would say three to five years have been having this resurgence of folk horror games more often than not set in other countries but i feel that they are at least taking a page out of the framework of specifically english folk horror uh so yeah. games like mundan uh santernalia even something like detention right and i think that what Hobbs Barrow does so well is the fact that it's not too heavy handed because I think that's probably an example of like the worst folk horror is something that right off the bat, we're going to shove this supernatural or this jump scare moment kind of right down your throat. And then you can't ignore that. So, okay, of course something is going on here. Um, and I think that what the excavation of Hobbs Barrow does so well right out the gate and for the entirety of the experience is the fact that they make it feel like it is a, a real town. It feels like it is a town that has a variety of characters that have been living there all their life. It doesn't feel like this kind of facade, I suppose. Uh, mm. It's not too heavy handed in getting to, you know, what's underneath the surface basically of this town. It does abide by a lot of the tropes of folk horror as the best examples of folk horror do. The fact that you have these unhelpful town folk right off the bat, they're suspicious of you. What are you doing here? People actually miss, uh, or confuse what Thomasina does with being like a grave robber, right? That's a kind of like a yeah. gag several times in the early moments of this game. And at the same time, it still has things like a prophet of doom where you have somebody that immediately tells her like, oh yeah, like you shouldn't be here. This is not going to end well for you, but you know, it's chalked up as being the town drunk or the town loon type of thing. And then yeah. of course, you know, she's arrives by train and she's supposed to be meeting her assistant and her assistant just never shows up. So, it has these pre these like prescribed tropes of the genre. But I think that again, like it is a very even handed approach in storytelling that it has those tropes, but it doesn't lean too much into the horror, which could end up being uh, almost a negative in those early hours. Right. It does become very horror centric in the back half of it as a, you know, the best folk horror does. Um, but I think that it's a smart decision to make the player buy into or be exposed to like the folk aspect of this setting and these people before getting into the overtly horrifying. Yeah. And yeah, the structure is so important in that regard because, you know, you can't get straight into it. I think with a game like this, you know, the little hints here and there, and even in the way people are like standoffish and give you those ominous warnings, it's like, they're not done in that very traditional ominous warning of, you know, it's not, the guy in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or, <laughs> right. or like it's not the Friday the Thirteenth, where it's not the guy coming up and say you're all doomed sort of thing. It's, it's, you know, it's done in a very much like that sort of way that you would think being an out of town or coming into a place that isn't, you know, there's there's a lot of um, correlation between like the whole thing with like 
hillbilly types and like those in rural areas in the north as is it you know and in england as being like viewed as lesser by the south yeah and so you get this sort of mutual disdain when one visits the other and you know obviously a lot of horror stories focus on that you know the idea of like going back to these more traditional ideas of what um life should be like um which, you know, again, interestingly, America, I think, has a very similar problem set to tends to be the north and the south are reversed yes. yep. in that regard. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's something I always do find fascinating, though, because in that you do have very different ways of approaching your history and your attitude to folklore. Like there, there are parts of the south here that still like have that country vibe of, of the north where there is the sort of a belief, but generally there's a difference in how they approach like the past, you know, there's a more jovial, whimsical sort of celebratory fashion to it. Um, I think because it, even when it was in the hardest times, it was like a shelter during wars for you know, the privileged people to send their kids, you know, and things like that. Whereas the North was just the North. It, you know, they, they carried on their struggle. They did whatever they had to do. It, it it's a remarkable divide, you know, and I think both countries have that in their tank. And that fish out of water vibe in the game is a brilliant way to sort of frame everything because, you know, Thomasina is so you know, disarmingly charming in terms of how she's like, you know, she's willing to talk to people, she's fascinated by people, she wants to get to know people, and it works with some. And because they are so, you know, backwards compared to how she sees things. You know, she understands what will get them on side and what will help like that. And, but she doesn't ever do it in a condescending way, really, because she gets to know people and, you know, she'll be annoyed if people, like, piss her off or, or leave her in the lurch. But, you know, she'll have a conversation about it and then treat them as people and as equals. Um, and th that was a really fascinating thing early on to see because it builds empathy when you get the idea of, of like, well... Yeah, it's all a bit too pally-pally, and that's, again, one of those things that, you know, Hot Fuzz by Edgar Wright <laughs> yeah. takes the piss out of that very sort of idea in folk horror here where, you know, everyone is so just disarmingly charming and lovely, and yet, but there's always something in the undertone of what they're saying and doing that feels a little condescending to an outsider <laughs> yeah. like that. And, you know, that's what's going on here. This is a very perfect example of that. It's like, you know, they, they treat her nicely when she's kind of, going by their rules and by the what they want yeah as you say anytime it comes to her work there's a bit more of a brusque tone in terms <laughs> of how they do things so yeah and uh, not a very helpful attitude when she needs like help in that work either yeah you know i think that that's probably the strongest aspect in that being the character right of thomasina right who is yeah. voiced by samantha bert um and i think that you know it would be one thing to be a fish out of water right that's been plenty of times the sort of basis for whether it's folk horror or otherwise, you know, a stranger in a strange land type of thing. Um, but it feels like it is paying homage to folk horror. And again, the sort of tropes of that, but at the same time, it feels slightly modernized in that Thomasina is not this sort of like the typical sheepish portrayal of a woman in this time period, right? She very much is willing to kind of like verbally spar with people that are either uh, hostile 
towards her or at the same time she's not afraid to speak her mind like i think within the opening moments you know she arrives in the town wearing you know a very traditional sort of like london period appropriate dress i suppose and then she changes mm. into like slacks and work clothes for the inevitable excavation and like certain characters that she runs across early on have a comment about that and she is min does not mince words about the fact that you know she's wearing what she needs to wear for the job she's willing to stand up for herself and you know sometimes when she's inquiring about the history of this town in the history of its people and you know is getting this sort of heavy-handed rhetoric about you know curses and spirits and fairies that live on the moor and these things and you know quite frequently she'll basically humor somebody and then she'll have she'll step away and say something like oh that's hogwash or something like that which is kind of like her almost a uh, slogan or, or catchphrase yeah. by the end of this game but it was very refreshing to have a character that i think the player themselves will feel is a little bit more modernized in addressing certain aspects of that narrative while still being very uh well formed within that world still having lots of questions still being cognizant of the fact that like people are either being dismissive because she's from London and they're from the country or, you know, they have something more sinister to hide. Um, mm. And again, you know, I thought that there was a very even handed approach in that early on, you know, inevitably everybody that's playing this game knows, yeah, there is something supernatural going on at the core of this mystery. But I just find that when you are initially having a familiar retreading, I suppose, from a narrative structure, there are so many little touches in this game, whether it's the writing, whether it's the performance of the character and the variety of characters that are all fully voiced, uh, that it just, it feels like a modern updating while not sort of, I suppose, rewriting the framework of what is important to the essence of folk horror. Um, and especially, you know, for somebody like me, obviously an American that does not have that background in, whether it's, you know, North and South relations in England or just in general, sort of the specific, I suppose, nuances to folk horror that would be uh, intrinsic to that region in England. You are picking up on interactions of that between people, which is informing what somebody like myself that's an outsider feels like they're being caught up, though. I don't feel like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm left in the lurch, if you will. I don't understand the nuances of this. It feels very approachable, despite the fact, clearly, there are more nuances to the folk horror uh, aspects of it being primarily set in England, uh, which are quite important, you know, to this specific brand of folk horror. Mm, absolutely. It, it, it just wouldn't work in, in any other way if it didn't have um, the, the sort of flavor it does. Um, even down to individual characters who have a, a timeless quality. What I say about, you know, places that don't ever change really in the fundamentals of what they are and the people and their ideals and not wanting change that's like the the thing that runs through the entire town you know is that yeah you know, people there are people that embrace it to a degree but they're just kind of excited by the shiny new toy they don't really understand why it's important in the same way that they should but they have their own personal reasons and that's great but everyone's like fear of anything new is kind of irrational and every this is a reason why they're superstitious of you know the, the, the titular barrow as well because there's something but no one wishes to explain what it is which you know, again is a very telling point you know, generally that you'd be like yeah everyone's got a problem with this thing because some bad thing happened once you know, like that and that's it they assume that's it forever like that and you know that's as true in real life as it is in any of these sort of folk stories that you get um 
but yeah, those characters specifically do just sort of transcend the time period. Um, and yeah, as much as they could be archetypes and stereotypes of things we already know, they're, they're very true. You know, like that. You go places, there are still people like that. And that's fine. And I think that's what makes it fascinating. And like I said, the, the approach that Thomasina takes to these people means it doesn't go that traditional way. You think of like, oh, okay, so she's going to be a bit brusque with these ones, then she's going to fall in with their ways. And it's like, there's aspects of that. But it's very much like a, a tentative thing, you know, and like a, she does it to gain what she wants, but also she is curious about people and has like a desire to know more. She's, you know, loves information. She likes to learn about things, you know, from her job all the way through to this. So, yeah, it's a really great character to have this journey with in terms of like exploring this sort of throwback town. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Hot Fuzz and I, that was the first thing that I thought of, you know, after <laughs> obviously Wicker Man, right? Which is kind of like the framework or the structure for most folk horror films and what they follow. But, you know, the quality of Hot Fuzz that I've always loved, in addition to just the film in general, um, is the fact that that film captures such a quaint sort of like homeliness to that town, mm -hmm. right? I think that they Edgar Wright does such a fantastic job of doing that. He fills it with these eccentric voices and eccentric characters more often than not but it still feels indicative of a small town. And again, whether you have this sort of uh, societal uh, differences or just you don't have that experience, it's the type of thing where it's like, okay, the town drunk, everybody can basically, you know, they can pick that out in their own sort of life yeah. or wherever they're from type of thing. But at the same time, there are these people that, you know, are pillars of the community, whether it's a religious figure, whether it's, you know, the, the landlord at a pub or in my case, like a bartender or whatever. It's like you have certain similarities. And I think that the ways in which this game presents characters and the ways in which characters, or I suppose the player themselves takes in these characters through Thomasina's viewpoint is very genuine. Like you said, you know, at the end of the day, everybody has their own motives, some more sinister than others, but at least with Thomasina, you know, while the player is playing as this character and very limited uh, sort of opportunities to, I suppose, impart their own decision-making or their own point of view through her actions, the way in which she is taking in all of these variety of voices and backgrounds and whatnot, some of them she provides her own point of view on where she's like, yeah, like that just sounds like drunken rambling or this sounds like a bunch of like ghost stories that people held on to a little too long after their adolescence. Yeah. But as you said, it, she is a character that prides herself on understanding things that she doesn't understand. So there is this genuine approach to wanting to know more about these people, know more about this place. And, you know, from a player standpoint, I found that each instance that I was able to, you know, learn more about these characters and not all of it is integral to the narrative, right? The progression of that. Um, mm. I think that it makes for a much richer world um, than, I don't, wouldn't say I was anticipating, but it just, it feels like you can really dig underneath the surface of this place and these characters. And the game allows you to do that. Even if some of the extra information you learn through just, you know, visits to the pub and whatnot and buying people drinks is kind of inconsequential, I suppose, the end narrative, but it just makes the entirety of this location, uh, I think, shine that much more and make it that much more engaging. Yeah, absolutely. And just, just to go back to, hot fuzz for a second that the interesting thing about what hot fuzz does is it takes it from a southern perspective um because you know that's pretty much just technically up the road not 
relatively speaking for Americans from where I live, yeah, <laughs> like, um, yeah, and those sort of whimsical country areas I'm talking about. And you know, that film very much plays with that idea of like, oh, everything's twee and lovely like that. So, yeah, I, I like how it marries that northern thing that northern divide and that southern divide thing and sort of meshes together that traditional english heritage stuff in a very typical edgar right way um yeah but yeah as this game goes the the fact that it has to be in the north is important i think in terms of like those vast expanses of the land in the moors especially um because for this country that is like huge you know in terms of like the, the space it covers it's like it, again nothing to americans i'd imagine really it's like it's probably a short hike compared to most <laughs> things but yeah but by considering everything else is quite well mapped out and roaded and all this stuff and how tight everything is compared to like even american streets i suppose in terms of like they're quite wide because you've got more space to have them and all this it, yeah having vast expanses of but there are no roads or anything, and it's just fields and grass and bushes and whatever. It's a bit off-putting and sinister and feels like too much space, you know, in the same way that, like, being like in the middle of an ocean and not seeing any land is too much space. It, it's that sort of element. And I like early on in this game when she does go here and she gets to those certain areas where you can look out to the moors and she will not go any further because it's like she very much recognises how intimidating those moors are and like you, and whenever you get sort of descriptions of like houses and buildings out there people are like very vague like, well, i don't know exactly because there's no fucking rope you know like, it's just like, <laughs> right. it's like, that's it you, you just like yeah there's somewhere out there on the moors like that and yeah i think the only time you've ever probably seen that in like american getting kind of a vague idea of that was probably an american world in london at the beginning bit of like the you know yeah that stereotypical watch out for the moors sort of thing but that it is that the idea that it's just unusual when everything else is so centralized and easy to navigate that you have this space it's not like that. i know i'm like again america has lots of places like that that actually make for great um you know larger versions of that and especially for folklore you know, um, it wasn't long ago I was talking about this in interview for a film where, yeah, about a film set in a desert you know, area where, you know, even there, it's you have these little isolated pocket communities and like that can just be living in a world of their own compared to the rest of the country, like that. And, you know, technically, you're not going that far out of the way. You know, the nearest big city can't be too far away, but you're far enough away that there's just something that can grow and become its own stubborn little thing that you know you are not going to make much headway in like that and that's one of my favorite things about the early game is that you know Thomasina trying to navigate that and find her way around this headspace it's like you know being very much born from us you know as we learn from a, a certain heritage herself and you know not being used to this in the same way she's been around places like this but you know with the obstacles she faces very early on, it um, presents a very different challenge. Yeah, and I think that that's wonderfully communicated, again, to people that might be unaware of just, you know, the importance of the location, the history of the location, through the fact that, you know, she is, it, you know, it's going to be an oversimplification, but like the city folk with 
in big air quotes, like the bumpkins, right? And so that is very approachable, I think. And the fact that the more you interact with those different residents of the town, the more that you go out of your way to explore. I think that even for somebody like myself, again, that's an American, like that history and that sort of uh, the undertones of that really do come out through exploration, which, you know, is obviously very important for a point and click adventure game as well. You know, you have to reward players that want to click on every single thing in more ways than just, hey, you found a key item. And I think that this game does that uh, really wonderfully. But we have so, so much more to talk about with this game, Uh, not only from its narrative, but also the maybe more modern touches to the point and click adventure formula that at the same time still feel very sort of uh, not only reminiscent, but they feel like they do justice to that classic sort of 90s, early 2000s framework. But more on that in a moment when we return from our quick break. All right, and we are back from our break. And, you know, Early on, I mentioned one thing, which was that this game does not feel heavy handed in the horrors that, of course, everybody that sits down to play a folk horror game knows are coming. Um, But I think that the reason why is that this game very smartly incorporates not only, you know, the horror of this location and its history, but more importantly, you know, the spotlight comes back on to this protagonist of Thomasina in that, you know, she has her own personal tragedy and own personal horrors of her, um, you know, childhood that's marred in tragedy. The fact that, you know, she's not an antiquary by, you know, chance. She comes from a lineage of her father was in the same profession, had, you know, gave her uh, the sort of the digger bug, if you will. The fact that, you know, she saw what he did and was entranced by it. But, you know, very tragically, her father has this mysterious accident that basically renders him bedbound. Um, mm. And so, you know, she having to deal with that traumatic event, never truly facing that, I suppose, and sort of how that molded her life and the fact that, you know, she, no matter how many of these digs she goes on, she's never going to have that answer, she thinks, to what actually happened, what caused this to occur and whatnot. Um, And I found that balancing the personal horrors of the protagonist with the horrors of this town and its history was a really smart way to kind of, I suppose, like stave off the inevitable, right? Because I think that early on this game has a moment where, you know, it is, very traditional pixel art style um, of, you know, point and click sort of 2d left to right sort of thing and exploring. And then the first time that the game has a cutscene, you encounter this, uh, what seems like a feral cat basically. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, Mm. okay. Yeah. Here's this tension, this sort of, uh, you know, brooding horror that you were expecting from folk horror, but the ways in which this game plays with presentation, I found did a good job of having these sort of breadcrumbs of the inevitable, but again, not, giving them out too frequently early on, which I think is so crucial when you want the player to like actually feel invested in a location past, Oh, I want to see what wild crazy horror stuff is going to happen here. Um, How did you kind of feel about, I suppose the pacing of the overt horror, but then also the ways in which this game utilizes flashbacks to tell Thomasina's own uh, sort of traumatic history. Yeah. I mean, as you said, the instances of horror, when they do come up are quite stark you know they are you have that first one being like is it a dream sort of thing with the cat is you know i think one of the most sort of shared images i think i've seen at the game before playing it um and beyond that i think it paces those moments really well you you just get these little snippets here and there and you're always in the search for answers 
to questions and never quite getting all of them you know and as that pile <laughs> seems to be clearing a few more are added and then you are getting taken in a new direction with it every time um with each revelation that takes you further into it and the involvement in whatever the hell is wrong with this place like that and i suppose it's refreshing that we aren't just talking about the oh everything's typically corrupted because the well, there's you know there's fucking purple vines everywhere or like whatever like that you know there's moments of that in like you know visions and dreamscapes and things like that where they there's an ominous sort of foreshadowing of things that, but never outright never obvious what path they're going down beyond the the dreadfully obvious one you know, that, that a good few folk horror tales take their protagonists and say well okay well you, you know you are going doomed at the end of this or this is not going to go down a path you really want it to yeah i, I think beyond that it's quite a mesmerizing approach to horror for a, a game that you know it's not front and center it's there permeating throughout the background of everything like that and the more the story of the place is being told the more it kind of grows on you without you realizing i think which is a really important way to go because i think that's the way it should be like it's the place you know nothing about you come to it with you know one mission in hand and throughout this you are learning more and more about it some of it sounds jovial some of it sounds silly but it all kind of starts leading to well, what that guy said is strange or what happened there is strange and it all gets together and going back to Thomasina here you know her inquisitive mind means she's never quite ruling out anything that happens you know in terms of like circumstance and happenstance she's always willing to try and find out oh did you do this did you do that like that but at the same time she's willing to give people the benefit of the doubt she's willing to try and rationalize things but have a slight dreamer's mentality as well i don't think much as she's come from this almost scientific clinical view of like you know excavating these places she is attracted to the folklore and history of it in a way that is there on the outskirts and i think story-wise that that's a very intentional move yeah and i think that you know, in terms of, again, the utilization of those cutscenes, it speaks overall to like a really intricate sort of approach to folk horror in that, you know, while the pixel art style of both characters and the environments, I think are, you know, wonderfully animated and at times they can be expressive. The ways in which they utilize those cutscenes that have a similar but even more, uh, I suppose, refined visual style. And yeah. those moments are very few and far between, but every single time they occur, it is appropriately amplifying either moment of tension or one of the most overt horror moments, which I think, again, does a really good job of kind of like reminding people, okay, if you're going to do folk horror, this is not going to be the sort of like streamlined commercial version of folk horror, not, not to show behind the curtain too much, but, uh, you know, next week we have a chat with, uh, Herc, who runs horror visuals about Silent Hill for its anniversary. And we talked a lot about Lovecraftian influence in the original Silent mm. Hill and how, you know, while we all can appreciate a good tentacle monster every now and then, the sort of like commercialization of Lovecraftian horror has made people believe, oh, well, if you do Lovecraft or anything along those lines, you have to have a tentacle monster in there, which is just simply not true because that speaks to a 
sort of generalizing on what makes Lovecraft so terrifying. And, you know, I would say the same with folk horror is that, you know, there's a tendency for people to be too heavy handed to show elements of the actual horror and what should be to a certain degree, like the undescribable to, you know, pull that back and have specific moments of the overt. Uh, and this game kind of like does that perfectly, I think, with those cutscenes. And it doesn't, and it chooses to use those cutscenes and that more refined art style for the most pivotal moments of the horror in this game. Mm. And the fact that, you know, talking about this sort of like, I suppose, a dreamer to a certain extent where like she's able to entertain certain ideas she might not agree with. The game kind of has a similar approach to when it shows you those overt horrors in that, oh, well, maybe this can be explained by, you know, this or that, but it doesn't kind of like, fundamentally alter where the story is at in a given moment. Oh, well, the supernatural is occurring. So now this kind of like negates everything I've learned up until that point, or it's fundamentally changed this place. So now it's going to occur everywhere. No, the way that this game is plotted out and paced with its story, I found that it was really refreshing not to sort of like have the page flip and all of a sudden the homeliness of this town is completely gone or mm. interactions with the characters are forever changed from this moment moving forwards. It felt like my understanding of this place and the way it operates was continuing while not sort of disregarding, I suppose, all that legwork the game does for the first, whatever, three hours of it where you're sort of operating in that space of, well, is there something going on? Is there not? That type of thing before it really kind of dives right into, uh, you know, the more overt supernatural aspects yeah i think folk horror has like the opposite problem sometimes to like the supernatural curse horror where yeah the overplayed thing in like a curse horror is nobody believes you everyone thinks you're mad blah 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 sort of thing whereas you kind of have to lean more into that with folk horror i think yeah the idea is that everything should feel really normal and you should almost be gaslit into thinking Am I just being stupid here? This this really doesn't seem like it's as bad. I, maybe I'm just taking out my you know southern ways on how these northerns live, sort of thing. You know, it's like which yeah you know, requires a mind broad enough to think like that. You know, you think of the Wicker Man; it's very much a, a different. You know, it's a, a mainland versus an islander sort of thing. You know, rather than a north south necessarily, and it's more about having. A low tolerance for the way they live and their their sort of strange ways and being flustered by it but also excited by it uh and yeah it all goes in there you know it's, it's presented well enough as like it's maybe strange to him but it, you know what's going on may generally doesn't seem that strange to them you know it's this small community they do things a certain way you're just the outsider and being a bit silly aren't you that's it. That's the way it's got to be presented. And uh, yeah, I think that's a, a really strong aspect of the excavation of Hogs Barrow is that it really digs into that. You know, it really digs into the idea of like, okay, yeah, people can be odd and suspicious and you can be questioning, but make such effort to make them feel like people as much as it makes them feel like something else. You know, and um the thing you feel in real life sometimes with people, you know, where, where you like, I don't know, this person seems cool, but everyone else tells me there's something a bit off about them, like sort of thing, like that. You're waiting for the other 
shooter drop where it's like, ah, this is the thing. You know, it's like, I didn't notice the uh, Confederacy flags in, in the backyard. So <laughs> right. that, it's like, it is that, you know, um, and how you go from there is obviously up to you, but it does add something, I think, to the characters of this game that you do kind of get familiar with them by sort of going these day-to-day uh, sort of conversations you have with them. I mean, a game that came out around the same time that ended up was the reason I didn't play this at the time. I think it was um, Obsidian's um, Pentiment, which uh, which is a fantastic point-and-click adventure in its own right, uh, which does a lot of the same things um, and even kind of dabbles in horror in its own little way, in, in a more murder mystery way. But again, it comes down to the way it presents these characters and makes them feel like fleshed out people that are, have flaws could be questioned that make you feel silly for questioning them and especially here though you need that if you're going to make a really good sort of folk horror environment and really make you feel what Thomasina feels which is like I want to trust people I want to know the people and know the culture but you know Am I being treated differently because I'm an outsider, or is it because there's, they just want me away from all this because there's something else at play, you know? And column A, column B, sort of stuff. I think with the, with the, the way the story goes. You know, I think for me, a big part of what allowed me to kind of like settle in even more to Thomasina and her experience, and you know, granted, it's kind of the nature of like point and click adventure a little bit, mm. where it's like, okay, the stakes are not in the immediate super high because it's like it's at the player's leisure. Also, you know, typically even in point adventure games that might have uh, some choose your own adventure aspects such as this does, there's no real stakes in terms of like a game over or something. But I think that, you know, part of the narration periodically of this game being from Thomasina in the future was the type of thing where it was like, okay, let me just kind of like settle in and be almost a little bit more laid back in this because it's like, well, clearly she's recalling this event. So whatever she's going to encounter did not, you know, she didn't meet an untimely demise, if you will. Um, And like little moments like that, I think, allowed me to kind of just soak up everything and almost be a little bit more open minded to tackling decisions or certain events in a way that might go against what I would think this character would. It kind of almost encouraged me to experiment a little bit more because it's like, Mm. well, clearly it doesn't matter that much. And this game has one true ending, even if the player has a variety of um, different options with how they want to go through conversations or a decision made here or there. Um, so I'm curious also, you know, for you, like one of the sort of, I suppose the only real complaint I've seen with this game, uh, has been about its utilization of flashbacks and dream sequences. Uh, the dream sequences lesser so I think, cause they come at like a pivotal, okay. The end of day one, the end of day two, the end of day three, but this game has a lot of flashbacks in terms of making the player relive pivotal moments in Thomasina's childhood, right? Interactions with her father, interactions with her mother that helped to shape the player's understanding of why she is the way that she is. Um, did you ever feel like the utilization of flashbacks was maybe encroaching a little bit on the here and now of the narrative or pacing, or did you feel like maybe it kind of just was utilized in a way that was, um, I suppose the most apt for telling her history while not losing track of the connection to her past with her present. Well, first off, I, I think, the, the mechanic of going into those flashbacks with those close-up cutscenes mm. of you know, her eyes, you know, the use of cutscenes again in this, is, I would say, is like not too 
do what most games do with cutscene, which is to present like the the most joyous, like bespoke version of everything you hear. And you know, it's something. Oh, wow, everything looks amazing here. Like, why can't the whole game be this? It's very much to kind of zoom in on the detail and the ugly detail of what of a moment like that. And you know, even in the way that like her eyes are shown, it's like it's not like a wishy washy like with like dreamy eyes sort of looking wistfully into the distance. It's like there's almost like a bulging sort of wonder in that animation, you know, that I think is just beautiful in its own right, you know, that you kind of have this, um, and you think of any cutscene that there is an ugliness to what's going on, you know, like, like from the cat to that first villager encounter, that sort of thing. There's always something that doesn't feel right, isn't, and it's that's the best way of the game sort of accentuating that point. Now, with the flashbacks themselves, I think apart from maybe a pacing issue in terms of when they're doled out, where there's a couple of cases where they're maybe a little too close together, uh, or where you could have maybe had one instead of two, um, I don't know. I, I you know, one of my favorite books of all time is Stephen King's It, which is like a book that flits back and forth in time all the time, and I have no problem following that, and I, I quite like that. Um, so here it's like i felt for the story it made perfect sense to do it um without doing exposition dumps which you know they do once maybe i think you know where she you know gets to sort of reveal more about herself um in a sort of more well a less guarded environment i think and but beyond that you know i think we need to have this insight into why she does what she does why she has this sort of tenacious approach to it and why it drives her to go the, to the length she does to find out more, you know, like that. It, it all needs to be said. It all needs to really drive her in the emphasis of why she is like she is and what her drive is for that, you know. I think so. Whether you in, enjoy that or not, in terms of like the, the amount of them, that you know, stands to reason that you may not. But I think they're important to the story all the same. Yeah, I I largely agree. I think that for me, it was like maybe towards the back half of the game, right? When you're kind of coming to that conclusion, you're actually going to get to get to the actual excavation of the game. Um, you know, there were a couple of instances where I was like, okay, we're going to have a flashback. These have been used sparingly enough. But then, you know, when you're kind of like trying to get to that finish line, I was like, oh, wait, we're doing another flashback. And then another flashback. It was like the pacing of them towards the, in that third act, maybe felt like they were a little too frequent that it lost the impact of, as you said, that cutscene where it is close up of her face, but it's not somebody that's having this pleasant recollection, right? It is mm -hmm. very much a recollection that is basically stopping them in their tracks. And it's kind of like revealing this traumatic period in their life. But at the same time, I didn't think that outside of maybe that final act, and it was only one or two instances where it was like beating you over the head with it. Cause if anything, again, it speaks to, more of not only understanding the history of the town that she's investigating and where the dig is going to happen, but her own history, which I think is just as, if not more so important because it dictates everything that you know about that character. Um, I suppose I think that the, the introduction of the flash, flashbacks is important because of the fact that you don't have those from the jump. So you mm. are basically being dropped into this world. You're meeting this character. You're having a genuine look at her and how she is, taking in information, taking in people that might be very different than 
herself or people that she knows, and then you're being informed about that history. Um, so I think the inception of those flashbacks is well done, even if maybe at the end of the game, it kind of hits you with them a little too frequently. Um, but I certainly didn't have an issue with them as uh, perhaps some people did that of the uh, steam reviews that I was reading where they're like, they're constant. Yeah. And I was like, a constant is not selling it correctly. I think in a specific period, maybe there might be an overutilization and a brief slice of this game. But I think that by that point, um, their inception and their use was like pretty imperative to the understanding of the character and the narrative and ultimately the sort of full circle nature of this as the best folk horror has, I think, in that this is not a random chance that she's here. This is, there's greater significance to everything that's happening and the level of deception and whatnot, um, which that revelation comes at probably the most apt point in that third act. But, you know, in terms of talking about this game from the standpoint of a point and click adventure, I was quite impressed with sort of what felt like a modern updating of interface and mechanics, but at the same time, not rewriting the identity of nineties mm. point and click games, whether you want to throw out loom, whether you want to throw out, you know, Sam and max, those types of games. Like I appreciate, and maybe it's because I didn't grow up playing traditional point and click adventure games. So I'm not into super hardcore abstract solutions to everything, <laughs> but you know, I was appreciative of the to-do list, right? The fact that, Oh, these are the certain plot beats that I have to investigate, which don't spell out exactly where you need to go, but it's a nice sort of frame of reference for, okay, I played for two hours on Sunday. I can't get to this until Tuesday night. I need a quick refresher kind of thing. I thought that was perfectly fine type of inclusion. I also was a big fan of the fast travel um, because, you know, when you talk about puzzles that might be slightly abstract. And I wouldn't say that this game is especially egregious in that regard. You know, there's a lot of logic between a majority of the puzzles or almost all of the puzzles. You know, I appreciated having a fast travel option that let me go to specific key points around the map, just so that way you don't have this sort of monotony of, okay, I need to go from the church to this random fucking moor out in the middle of nowhere. And I have to spend 10 minutes walking there type of thing. Um, so like, those little modern concessions, I thought, were welcomed because of the fact that it's thinking, okay, well, we have more technical capabilities now in making these games, but I didn't feel that it was disingenuous, I suppose, to the essence of what a point-and-click adventure game is. Uh, how did you feel about some of those more modern concessions? Yeah, I think the technical sophistication that we have now means that there are aspects of this game that maybe flow better together that you couldn't have done back then. I think one of the things that is really prevalent in this game is how just happenstance can lead you to one solution to one problem without you realizing it, you know, just by following one lead that maybe didn't seem like anything, it can lead you to something else, you know, and then suddenly you've got the answer to a problem you've had for an hour maybe like and you're like, oh, like that whilst solving another problem in the more immediate sense and yeah i've rarely felt stuck you know which is something i always appreciate in any puzzle game is the balance between challenge um a need for some intellect but also not you know condescending you and trying to just you know point you out with like map markers and things like that or or even going the other way and being too obscure so it, it does just flip between that balance level perfectly i think where you just 
end up making good progress one way or the other because even if you're not like finding exactly what you want something changes in like an area you go to like because of the time of day or the whatever you are someone maybe suddenly show up in an area that wasn't there before and maybe that unveils that unfurls a whole new area thing you wanted to do or you didn't know about and I like that that it wasn't just like a straight oh you just need to do this to get to point b and blah 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 and then that'll take you to point c like that you could just like flip from point b to f and all the way to z um just by going after point a and i like that immensely in terms of structure so yeah in terms of being like a modern point and click adventure again it's one of those that just gets it and understands how to evoke the classical spirit, you know, in visual pre presentation, um, even in like the, the the nudging humor in how you use things together and stuff, and how you like solve certain puzzles is very classical. But understanding that the audience isn't the same, you know, like that, and I I I think that's the smart way to go with this, and and a reason why you know it, it garnered such praise. Yeah, I mean, the fast travel was the reason why I played this game in three sittings, because it was the thing where I was like, typically, if you have to do a great deal of backtracking, pairing that with the typical frustration that I get with puzzle games sometimes, I'm like, well, am I going to bother spending 10 minutes getting back to this point just to try something that might not work? Whereas in this, and it's not to say I was rushing through the game, but, you know, the reality of covering a game is that, you know, you have a certain period of time to hmm. play something, to formulate your ideas and then to, you know, think back on it and whatnot, let it really ruminate. So the fact that if I had an idea for trying or pairing or combining certain key items together and I could do it at like the snap of a finger, I was like, oh, this is keeping up the momentum that I wish a lot of puzzle games had. Um, and mm -hmm. even if, you know, what I went back to try was nonsensical or didn't, you know, the idea that I had was just pointless. Uh, at the end of the day, though, that it doesn't feel like a great cost to my time right and maybe yeah. you know more hardcore fans of point and click adventure games would say well that's part of it you know you need to value your time and you know if you're going to try certain uh harebrained schemes of combining items then yeah you're going to get the result that you get but you know the reality is i was very appreciative of the fact that i was given that leniency where i don't have to worry about having my time wasted and more often than not it speaks to the strength of the logic behind these puzzles or these sort of interactions with other characters and combining items because of the fact that really up until the last chapter of the game and you actually get to the excavation, a majority of these are pretty straightforward logic puzzles that have you interacting with characters and the environment in a way that still retains the shroud of the mystery, I think, of mm. Hobbs Barrow, which I was super surprised by. You know, typically when I think about games that are very puzzle-focused, not just solely point-and-click adventure games, but like how many either folk horror or just horror games in general, the first puzzle that you come across is something like outlandish, right? I'm thinking about like yeah. Resident Evil, right? The fact <laughs> yeah. that, oh, I need to find gems and put them in these obscure statues' eyes and then turn this dial, turn that dial, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I know that there is something greater behind that curtain. And then with something like this, though, where when I find with folk horror, it's like, yeah, the gaslighting phase is incredibly important. The fact that, you know, you have to keep up appearances until a certain point when you go off completely down this third act of the supernatural. I thought this game, in terms of its puzzles, was perfectly balanced in that regard. Because the majority mm. of them, I mean, the first thing 
that the first puzzle you come across is, okay, I have this white glove in my inventory. What the hell am I going to use that for? And then you come across a broken shard of glass that you have to pick up every time you interact with it. Initially, oh, it's sharp. I can't pick that up. And then you start to piece together. I'll use the glove to pick it up, to give it to somebody. And like a very simple puzzle, but at the same time, it makes you view your inventory a little bit more so than maybe you typically would because it's kind of the thing Mm. where it's like, I'm not turning dials and I'm not deciphering codes right out the gate because that does a disservice, I think, to the pacing of this. Um, And I would say that outside of that, you know, I come back to what I said at the beginning of our chat, where it was like, there are instances where the choose your own adventure does not have ramifications on the ending. As I said, there's one ending for this game. And based on certain actions you take, you're not going to have this life altering or Thomasina's life altering kind of like playing out of an option, whether it's dialogue or whether it's an action that you take, it just reinforces, you know, your understanding of a specific character. I come back to early on, you know, you first thing you have to decide is you try to enter the pub for the town and you're basically accosted by this drunk guy that asks you for a kiss. Right. And so Thomasina can either slap him, kiss him or remind him of his wife. And at the end of the day, you know, whatever you choose is not going to have this drastic narrative shifting sort of outcome, but it does inform her relationship with this character. And later on in the game, you know, you have this option of, okay, he says, Oh, can I buy you a drink to apologize? And, you know, I replayed it both ways. One way you can turn him down. Cause I think she even has in parentheses, to one of the options it was like well i want to think about his health because he's a drunk and then there's another option where it's like yeah you know he wants to apologize i'll let him buy me a drink and you get to have this entire interaction with this character that i think goes against your preconceived notion of them when they're yes. introduced the fact that you know oh he's a drunk he's a pig this or that but later on you get to learn a little bit more about that character you get to learn the reasoning behind their behavior not to say you approve of it but you understand why this character is the way that they are. And that's a completely missable chunk of the narrative of understanding, you know, this area and its sort of uh, residents and whatnot that I came to appreciate a lot. And the fact that, you know, again, you don't have these major stakes of, oh, well, this current life will end if I make a bad decision and I die or it'll give me a different ending and then I have to backtrack to try to get a different ending and these things. Um, So the game, I think, reinforces player experimentation, not only from the low stakes of those early puzzles, but also the narrative stakes and the sort of narrative decisions that the player can make, um, Mm. which ultimately, you know, I was, I loved because again, a lot of point and clicker adventure games from back in the day, perhaps did not have that level of depth or that level of player choice um, just because of certain limitations and whatnot. Um, And so to see a game that's able to take that classic framework of point and click adventure but have some modern concessions or just having more options because, you know, they're able to actually play into that and actually have that unfold um, was an aspect of this that really made me appreciative of the modernizations of point and click adventure, even if it doesn't rewrite what makes them so special. Mm. Yeah. Uh, It's um, the perfect modernization of that format without a doubt. It's, um, like I said, this and Pentiment do very different things within that space, but both are really refreshing ways. And I think, in a way, I suppose, um, in terms of like critical reception, I think 
this game kind of stole Pentiment's march by being out first. And I think just the general, <laughs> as much as it's real or not, the Xbox tax of um, you know, Obsidian putting out, you know, Obsidian of all companies putting out a point-and-click adventure is um, of sorts is probably not going to get it the same love that it deserves. But I, I love that we can evolve a genre like that, you know, in such interesting ways. I mean, we talked about it before uh, with, guess what, another game that came out in 2022, Norco. Which was also a point. I mean, what a fucking year that was! You know, towards the end of that year, we had Norco, Excavation of Hobbs Barrow, and Pentiment all doing this, and you know, to a different degree, I suppose, Immortality, uh, which was a, a very different kind of point-and-click adventure altogether. I mean, for a, a genre that is quite understated and underdeveloped um, by modern standards, that in the that year we got those four games in the last few months of the year and none of them kind of got maybe the flowers they deserved because there were you know the bigger budget games out there or, or whatever or media darlings that were doing other things but uh, yeah in much the same way like, i love visual novels you know it's um the narrative aspect you know, of telling a story in a video game in a way that is more traditional you know that feels more like a book it's something i really enjoy because you get time and space and less of the less of the urgency to just push on and go collect whatever's next yeah it is taking that more slow paced approach to things i love that i'm so glad that you know 2022 ended with such a, a barrage of games like that you know all of which I consider some of the best games of that year. You know, I think you know, it's a shame we didn't get round to this uh, at the end of 2022, but um, it, it just shows that what great competition there was. It really, yeah. I mean, I, as soon as I finished this game, I kind of like added Norco back to my queue because I remember how much you were praising that game. And unfortunately, it was one that I just haven't had time to get to. But um, I think if anything, you know, playing through this, it just, it makes me want more games that kind of, I suppose, have a similar approach, even if the narratives they're telling or the settings they're using are very drastically different. Um, you know, something like Norco, from what you were saying about it and what you know, little I saw of it, uh, it seems to be in that same vein where it is letting the player fully Im be immersed into this setting and these this world and these characters and whatnot. Um, and, you know, one aspect of this game that I didn't mention that I want to take a brief moment to mentioned that it's so strong in establishing that world is this really atmospheric uh, soundtrack from the machine. Uh, I think it's called the machine and the demon. Uh, yeah. But you know, it was one of those things where I was like, this is such a perfect ambient track free, uh, you know, multiple ambient tracks because of the fact that it matches the various tones of this game, right? If you just had this track that's just playing through and it's like very foreboding, it's very ominous the entire game that kind of does a disservice almost to the narrative, which has those moments of gaslighting, those moments of the homeliness again of this setting and these characters. And, you know, I found that the score here, it just, it does a good job of meeting all of those sort of like narrative peaks and valleys, I suppose, in tone. Yeah. Um, and it was one of those things where I immediately went into the, the settings when I booted this game up and I cranked that all the way, I cranked the soundtrack, cranked the dialogue, <laughs> cranked down the SFX a little bit. Cause I don't need to hear myself clicking that loudly, but you know, just to allow this myself to kind of like be further enveloped into this world 
and again, you know, you talk about soundtracks and games. Uh, it's one that, you know, I would put on for writing this week where I was just, you know, taking notes, doing housekeeping, this or that. And I was like, yeah, you know, this is, it hits so many peaks and valleys that it doesn't feel inappropriate. might be the wrong word. It doesn't feel inappropriate to have this playing when I'm just doing whatever. Right. I think that there's some soundtracks where it's like, this really only fits, I think, in a moment of intensity or a moment of thematic pause in an actual game. But outside of that, maybe it would kind of be like, I don't know if I necessarily need to listen to this, but this track, it hits so many peaks and valleys that I found I could just kind of have it on in the background while doing other things uh, throughout the week. Yeah, I, uh, you know how I feel about a good soundtrack <laughs> and how it elevates it. Um, Slightly a fan. Yeah, that's it. And I think here it kind of does a job that's maybe a bit more in the background, which is also wonderful. I think a soundtrack that sort of bleeds into the uh, wallpaper, so to speak, um, is sometimes the best kind because it feels the part of everything. It's just, you know, it doesn't feel like a, a separate entity. You know, as much as I love any you know, any good soundtrack in anything, you notice the difference when it's not married to the quality of the rest of the product, so to speak, or the rest of the, the arts. And so you can have like a fantastic soundtrack in a game that's maybe okay like that and same with films and, I, and for me that will elevate that anyway because something is at least telling a story within that soundtrack um but yeah this is like the opposite kind in that it is understated but there and omnipresent and perfect for the kind of atmosphere that the game is going for where it is just there in the background just growing on you and you know it's there you feel it and you recognize it but in the moment you're not really kind of noticing it in that way it's like it's afterwards when you sort of have it in isolation and you're like, oh, okay yeah i know this like that um I, I very much found that to be the way with uh norco actually as well which uh have a very strong soundtrack so yeah i i think that that's a another great quality absolutely absolutely and you know before we wrap up our chat i wanted to briefly talk about the ending uh without getting into maybe uh, specifics just in terms of i think giving more props overall to the structure of the excavation of Hobbes Barrow and the fact that, you know, I found that ending to be sort of like the perfect ending in that, again, you've got that third act, you finally had the excavation, and then, you know, that's where you have the more, I suppose, outlandish puzzles that I mentioned uh, not mm. too long ago, right? The fact that it, you know, the mystery has been, you've seen behind the curtain as the player. You are- yes you know, in the thick of things, you're learning more about her connection to this place, the historical importance, the importance of, you know, her present. And, you know, I think that that's when the game kind of like goes, you know, it almost, uh, I suppose, jumps the shark in terms of the tone and the more grounded logic of that original sort of puzzle format until now in this final act, you get to have the more outlandish puzzles that, you know, might defy, uh, I suppose, not, I wouldn't say logic, but reality, right? In some instances, mm. but that's when the game gets to fully flourish into this supernatural environment and setting um, that the player has kind of like basically been waiting for the whole game. But it felt like it came at just the right moment. Yeah, it's a, a payoff uh, of sorts. And, you know, I've seen some very interesting uh, sort of critique on it, you know, and like for, from people expecting a very particular thing about the game, I think a really good article out there I think it was on Eurogamer 
I'm trying to remember who did. I think it was by Christopher Donlan at the time. Who sort of getting into without spoiling, kind of getting into the how he felt towards the ending. You know, it was an interesting insight that you know he felt dissatisfied until he kind of mulled it over. And and you know, I I had an aspect of that. You know, in, in at the time, you know, it was something about it that kind of felt probably because the inevitability of it. I think um, you kind of didn't want it to be that way just because there are so many aspects of the story that feel like they're countering that and pushing it in a different direction but i think it needed it and i think then then you um you, you sort of dwell on that narrative for a while and it makes you just go yeah okay yeah it really does make perfect sense that it kind of closes out the way it does and takes it in that direction and i'm yeah i, I like again an ending that just leaves you mulling on it and thinking on it and like doesn't just leave you think in that like sort of exultant like perfect oh it was amazing because this 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 and this that sort of takes you through the whole sort of gauntlet of emotions of like why did I feel like this why why did that not quite hit with me in the way that I thought and then sort of coming to the conclusion that no there there is something there that challenged me you know I think we've talked about this on here and in other podcasts you know, with films and things sometimes there's stuff that's just abrasive um and, and can really like rile you up and if you see it coming in a way you kind of you might embrace it more and, you know in most cases i think i find that that i'm like yeah it's cool because it's going against type i think the difference here is it's abrasive because it's not quite going against type and so it isn't as instantly um obvious i think that you can appreciate it that way and so I think that that in itself ends up being a subversion. Yeah, and I, I really enjoyed that about it. Um, and again, just speaks volumes. So I think the writing yeah. quality. Yeah, you know, I think with this ending, and I'd read a couple of complaints about it. Uh, for me, and I mentioned, you know, I gave a brief preview for what next week entails in terms of our chat on uh, Lovecraftian aspects of horror and how that can be done well. I thought that this ending, you know, was perfect in the sense that it channels Lovecraftian horror and that, you know, trying to describe the indescribable and the ramifications of trying to describe the indescribable to other people. Um, but more importantly, I think that it ultimately ties into this character that is so strong, so well-written, so well-performed, and it ultimately gives more credence into why that emphasis on this individual and their history was so important. Um, so, you know, while it might not have this big sort of blockbuster Hollywood ending that maybe some people are expecting from folk horror. Uh, you know, it might not be as in your face drastic as something like Wicker Man. Um, I think that the importance of it and the ultimately execution of it uh, was far more haunting than I suppose I was anticipating for the culmination of everything that's gone on for whatever the seven to nine hours this game takes to complete. Uh, so while we won't get into specifics, I just kind of wanted to shine a light on an ending that really does understand the subgenres that it dabbles in and those influences because uh, it ended up being the type of ending where as you said you know i was thinking more about why i felt the way i did about it rather than perhaps mm. you know a specific revelation here or there um, and if anything it just made me you know that much more appreciative of overall the the full circle nature of this game and the fact that it goes about that in maybe a less traditional manner but it still has the impact that you want from something like that that doesn't really allow any one particular, I suppose, narrative twist or turn uh, to be 
without consequence or without some sort of uh, greater importance, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I have to sort of finish off by saying when the game came out and I was interested in it, I bought it towards the end of 2022, thinking, well, I'll catch up and play on it. We'll talk about it in the new year of 2023, which didn't happen, unfortunately. But um, I, I'd followed the developer, Sean Aitchison, um, uh, to sort of keep that in the loop on that. I think it's seeing the constant reminders from him over the last year or so that sort of kept the game in my mind to sort of play and like get around to it. And I was like, yeah, it's why it, when we were sort of trying to think of like this week and like think of this free week of picking a game, it was like, it's kind of a, there you go, you got it there. Now you've got the Steam Deck, you've got no excuse. <laughs> you can go play it on there again. And it worked out a treat. It's, um, so yeah, I, I like that, that even before I got to play it, it was a game that just kept cropping up. Um, and self promotion works. That's the best way. Right. <laughs> that, that, that's the best example of that. Well, you know, you've kept your streak alive of recommending me either great graphic uh, graphic novel games or uh, visual novel games, rather, uh, or, you know, at this point, a point-and-click adventure game, which really, you know, again, talking about that, bridging the gap between, I suppose, doing right by the subgenre to its roots, but at the same time making certain modern concessions and whatnot. And, you know, we talked a little bit about sort of Lovecraftian horrors, and as I've mentioned now multiple times, uh, people can look forward to next week. We're joined by Herc, who runs horror visuals on twitter he's going to join us to celebrate the 25th anniversary of silent hill which as we get into in our chat sometimes that game gets a little bit lost in the conversation surrounding silent hill what makes it so strong and what gives it uh, such a strong presence in the silent hill series as a whole uh, but neil until next time i'll say tara to you for now uh, but as always it's been a pleasure chatting horror with you for safe room back at you i'll see you in the fog Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. As always, our main episodes for Safe Room drop every Monday, but our bite-sized episodes of Horror Bites, our indie horror showcase, drop every Thursday. You can follow Horror Bites' Twitter account at HorrorBites underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And finally, you can send emails to saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we have or are going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.